Hey there, and welcome to this special episode of Think Aloud with Dr. G. I'm Dr. Lisa Gorin, and I'm very glad you're here. Today is all about legislative advocacy, what it is, and how you can be involved. Spoiler alert, this is not as scary or as difficult as you may think. Today, we're thinking aloud with Marlena Wally, the Director of Special Services for the Raymore Peculiar School District in Missouri and the President of MoCase, the Missouri Chapter of the Council of Administrators of Special Education. Marlena and I discussed the recent Special Education Legislative Summit, or CELS, and the three big rocks of advocacy we shared with our members of Congress. Let's get started. Hi, Marlena. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hi, Lisa. So good to see you. It's good to see you. I am really excited to have this conversation with you. We were just together in Washington, D.C., and I really wanted to take a moment to kind of share about that experience with some of our listeners so they can understand kind of what the Special Education Legislative Summit is and why it kind of matters. But first, I really wanted to have this conversation with you as our new president of MoCase. So can you give us like a little 30-second spiel about who you are and your new role in MoCase? Hi, absolutely. So um, I am the director of special education in the Raymore Peculiar School District, and I've been serving on the board of MoCase, which is our Missouri Council of Administrators in Special Education, Um, gosh, for a number of years, I've trying to think of how long I've been on the board, Um, maybe too many to count, or some kind of involvement, maybe not as an actual board member, but volunteering um, for conferences and to support um, the efforts of MoCase. And MoCase is a a really strong advocating program and group for our teachers and our administrators in Missouri, right? Absolutely. So it's set up um, to support administrators who then support all of our teachers, related service providers, support staff, everybody that makes the special education world go round. Um, But it's also... uh, you know, really a a support for everyone in education. Mm -hmm. Um, Special education is a resource to regular education. So you have to have those partnerships with other professionals. So it's, it is great advocacy for our profession in general. I agree. And I think it is so important to recognize that Um, we tend to kind of think of things as either general education or special education, but truly we do our best work when we work together and we can be resources and supports for each other because we're all ultimately there to support the teachers who are supporting the students, right? So I think that makes sense. For our listeners, we do a lot of acronyms on this podcast. So MoCase, being the Missouri Council of Administrators of Special Education, is the state-level division of CASE, or the Council for Administrators of Special Education, which is a national organization that is part of CEC, Council for Exceptional Children. And I've talked about those two before on this podcast. So if people are interested in that, um, I will have the links to those different organizations and kind of layers in the show notes. But what we did just a week ago is um, we were in Washington, D.C., 
for the Special Education Legislative Summit, or CELS 2022. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, kind of why we were there? The Special Education Legislative Summit was one of the most um, empowering and amazing experiences that I've had in my career. Um, I hope to go back again. Uh, so what a, what an amazing opportunity to advocate for our profession and the needs, our greatest needs in the field of special education today. And to join, um, you mentioned the, you know, the, the big umbrella is Council for Exceptional Children mm-hmm. and CASE being the division and Mo CASE the subdivision under that. Um, but we had uh, representation from 45 states, 250 participants. Um, we had members from Canada in attendance. Um, so it was, you know, it was just amazing to see everybody come together um, to support special education in our country. And I think it was wonderful. This was my first in-person cells. So um, one of my other roles, in addition to being on the board of MoCase with you, is that I am the public policy chair for the Division for Learning Disabilities. So another group kind of under that CEC umbrella. And I had the opportunity to participate kind of in that role as well, um, but in person. So we spent some time kind of getting together, having conversations about our key issues. I feel like we could talk about tons of things in education, right? But we were really there to advocate for kind of three overarching areas. And it was just empowering, like you said, and really exciting to be in person and to have those conversations with members of Congress and their staff to really kind of talk about what these things look like and how the decisions that are made in Washington impact at the at the local level. So I think this was just so exciting and I really can't wait to go back. Um, and I really wanted to share this idea of kind of what we did there, but also then maybe how that can translate into everyday advocacy, because we talk about the importance of being aware and being connected. So first things first, let's talk about those kind of big idea things that we were talking about with our members of Congress and their staffers. And really, There were three that kind of connected, and you did a beautiful job of talking about those. So I'm going to have you kind of introduce those, and then we'll talk about how they all kind of go together with our IDEA funding. Sure. So um, I think one of the biggest areas that we talked about was the appropriations. So to uh, advocate for fully funding IDEA, which since um, its inception has not been fully funded, Um, With that not being fully funded, it impacts all of our states and then locally, as you mentioned, because money has to be made up somewhere else. Um, So where we don't have the full fund. So one of the biggest overarching ideas is appropriations. And that is the government word for how do they decide where to spend the money that needs that they have in the budget and where does it go, right? IDEA um, is a, everybody knows, as a, a mandated... Um, I think the word that they used in our training was unfunded mandate. You're right. So 
Everyone in special education knows what IDEA is, but I don't even think all of our friends in education know, much less the people who are community members or even legislators. So maybe we take a moment. IDEA is the federal law that says all students have the right to a free, appropriate public education. Um, originally, when it was signed into law in 1975, which has been quite a little while ago, it was indicated that the federal government would pay up, they would pay 40% of the amount kind of extra, right, that it costs to educate students with disabilities kind of above and beyond the typical school funding formula. So 40% is our target number. And as you and I know, and everybody who works in special education knows, that's never been fully funded. So we kind of average somewhere in the 12 to 15% range, but never in the 47 years that we've had this federal law have we actually had full funding. So that's kind of our big push, right? Yes, you're correct. So for the fiscal year of 2022, federal share was only about 13%. So when the um, mandate is not fully funded, it leaves states and school districts to pay for that difference with the local funds. Right. So it, it is a pretty significant impact when... Um, we, we have no choice. We, we want to do what's best for our students. And um, it is a, a mandated requirement, but it's, it's very difficult in taxing on uh, school districts to make up that additional funding. Right. And I do think that's something that people outside of education don't realize. We have a federal law that mandates we provide these services, but the funding that goes along with that, if it's not provided, we have to come up with it somewhere. And so each district has their own tiny little pot of money that they have to do everything for their school district in. And it does. It does create a burden for the district, um, which I think when we were talking with our members of Congress and the staff members, we were able to kind of draw those, connect the dots maybe between this idea of if, since we don't have this funding, it's created kind of layers of struggle and it's created some new barriers that have increased problems that we've seen. So IDEA, as you and I both know, has never been fully funded. And as a result, that creates a financial burden on the local districts and on the state budgets, which has kind of a broader impact. So can you talk about those other topics that we were really advocating for and how they're interconnected with this idea of funding? So the, the second big rock that we advocated for in Washington, D.C., at the Capitol with our Congress people was um, teacher shortages. So that directly ties back to the appropriations because um, the dedicated funding would help with teacher preparation and look at compensation um, for special education teachers. And that would help us build capacity and sustain those teachers. Um, right now, I'm looking at a fact that 98% of school districts reported special education shortages. And that, that right there just makes your, your stomach drop 
It really does. Well, and we had some data that I'm not going to be able to recall exactly, but the state of Missouri puts together a report every year about shortages. Where do we have educator shortages? So we can kind of look at where there is need, but then where there is critical need. And for the most recent year, the report came out in November of 2021. And of the top five shortage areas, three of them were special education related. So we are really struggling to find people. And one of the things that I thought was such an aha moment that we had in Washington, D.C., is we were talking about this idea of educator shortage. And that's not new. That doesn't sound unfamiliar to most people, but putting it in context, and you talked about what that actually means, like at the local district level. So in your district, for example, what does it mean when we say there's an educator shortage or you have openings in these roles? Well, I think there's a little bit of a snowball effect. Um, Currently, I have a number of support staff openings. So for instance, paraprofessionals. And when you have those openings, there is a snowball effect. So I will fill those positions with um, substitutes. And sometimes those substitutes will change on a daily basis, which becomes very um, difficult for the special education staff who serve students um, with with complex needs right. to continuously feel this revolving door of training new people. Right. Um, it also it puts some weight on our uh, substitute pool, which right now substitutes are even hard um, to find in our, in our field. Absolutely. Lisa, I'm looking at another fact and special education teachers leave the teaching profession at nearly twice the rate of their general education colleagues. And that is a scary thing to think about. And not to say that to try to scare people away, right? But just to make it a reality, special education requires you to have specialized training and skills to work with students who have kind of additional needs, right? They they require specially designed instruction. So you have to know how to do that. Um, so that's a hard job. And you layer in the legal pieces and the IEP development and the meetings and the coordinating with the general education peers, when done well, it's a beautiful system that supports the students and the teachers can feel supported as well. But if we have a shortage, let's say we have an open position for a special education teacher, then the person who's filling that role might be a substitute, might be an underqualified or unqualified substitute teacher, Or in some cases, in some districts that I know, um, they can't find anyone. So the teachers who are in the building are kind of filling in on their plan period. So you might cover first period, I might cover second period. And so the kids are having a revolving set of adults trying to create a cohesive educational experience for them. That's a challenge at every level. That's right. I've, I've heard uh, friends in other districts where they've had to com- combine classrooms right. um, due to the shortage. And yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard on everybody. It's hard right. on staff. It's hard on students. Um, it, and it's, it's even hard on parents to Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, maintain those relationships. 
And it feels a little different than other areas in our society where we have shortage. So, I mean, I'm not saying we're the only place, right? Education is not the only place that has shortage. We talk about having worker shortage. And so let's say, for example, if you own a restaurant or a grocery store, you might be able to reduce hours and have, you know, come up with different types of, of solutions, like temporary solutions to maybe deal with the fact that you don't have enough people to staff. But in education, we can't just reduce the number of children we serve. Like we have a federal law mandate that says we will educate all students. So we have to do it with even fewer resources. And I think that that's really eye-opening for somebody who's maybe not kind of in that day-to-day with our schools. I agree. I think that was a very strong message when we were um, meeting with our congressmen and women um, yes. at the Hill to, and to even see their eyes get wide when we said, oh, goodness, we will have, if we continue to have teacher shortages in special education, we will have unqualified people teaching our children. And I think walking away with that statement um, hopefully stuck with them. I, I think it did. Yeah, it was, you know, even though I knew those things, it was powerful for me to put it in that context, which is part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you and kind of share it more broadly through our podcast. Um, so the other kind of big rock that we talked about that I really feel like is absolutely intertwined in this conversation, they all tend to impact each other, is this idea of mental health. And it's not just mental health in the broadest sense, but really kind of building positive climate for learning for the students, but also a positive work environment for the adults who are the teachers, the educators, the paraprofessionals. So can you give us a little idea of kind of how mental health is an impact in your district? Sure. So mental health, I think we're all seeing um, an increased need for support um, in every school for highly yes. qualified school mental health professionals to be part of those teams that wrap around students. Right. Um, I mentioned before that, you know, our special education staff, so special education teachers and the support staff that um, serve students with disabilities see some very complex needs. Right. Um, for, and really, that's that's on all levels. It's in regular education, special education. Um, so I think it's it's definitely our third big rock that we took to the Capitol because we, we can't ignore it any, right. any longer. We have to make sure that we are um, partnering within the, the school setting because ultimately it becomes our responsibility. Right. Absolutely. And this idea of behavioral and mental health, as you mentioned, the term wraparound services, like we are recognizing in our society that we need to provide um, comprehensive support for children, for families, you know, all of us, right? We're all needing a little extra. I think the pandemic kind of brought that to the surface in a way that it hadn't been before, but kind of recognizing the impact that 
trauma or increased anxiety or just that uncertainty like of not really knowing that kind of fear of whether it be COVID or whether it be not having enough food in the house or not having a house to live in, like housing insecurity, food insecurity. There are a lot of things that have a an impact on the child, not just in that moment, but even on development and the ability to focus and learn and to attend school and be a part of that community. Yeah, I think we're seeing that both the the behavioral and mental health interventions are a requirement now that that we have to make that part of our our school team um, supports. Absolutely. And I know that um, our friends in the National Association of School Psychologists have been advocating for that for quite some time. So I love that we were able to draw in some facts from them as well that I'll share a link to. But this idea of access to mental health services in our community, yes. But also we know for a lot of our students, school is the place where they receive those services. It might be the place that is stable. So um, people who maybe haven't been in a school since they were in school, right? You know, it's been a few years for some of us, might not realize that we have breakfast programs and lunch programs and we have, you know, buddy pack programs to send food home with kids who don't have a consistent food source. We have clothing closets in our schools to clothe the children who come. We have showers set up for in hygiene spaces and laundry facilities. Um, schools, a lot of times in a lot of communities, kind of serve bigger and broader needs than I think we might have expected based on maybe our own experiences 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for me, more than 20 years ago. It's been a while, right, since I was in elementary school. So I think just kind of recognizing that our public schools really are kind of heartbeats of community within our spaces. And we really do ask our educators to provide layers upon layers of support and services that maybe we didn't realize were happening there. Yes. So one of the um, neat things as part of being part of this legislative summit is that the Council for Exceptional Children and the Council for Administrators and Special Education put together some fast facts for us. And one of the facts that they put together is one in six children have mental health conditions, but only half receive mental health services. Just saying that out loud, um, really, it it tells you that this was such an important thing for us to advocate at at Capitol Hill. Absolutely. To put that in perspective, another kind of hot topic right now in education is dyslexia or this idea of having some basic reading skill deficits, right? And we know that one in five children have difficulty, either have dyslexia or have the characteristics that you could say impact reading at that basic level. But we're talking about same numbers. Just as many students are struggling with mental health issues and only half of them are getting any services. That's really telling. It is. It is. It is really telling. So I 
came away from this experience with you hearing from your perspective in a school district and kind of knowing what I know about teacher education and seeing this impact we were able to have in Washington, I came away with encouragement, empowerment, and hope for how we can kind of make a difference. Um, I know not everybody is going to be able to wait until next year and go with us to the Legislative Summit, although I'm hoping more people do come. But what are some ways people can become informed and be active now? Well, I hope that people don't wait until next year. <laughs> Me too, For the really. Legislative <laughs> Summit. So to get involved in um, organizations such as uh, the Council for Exceptional Children, or locally here in Missouri, um, MoCase, uh, you know, we try to keep a, a very strong pulse on what um, those in our profession are dealing with. And all three of these topics are significant here in the state of Missouri. Very much. Whether so. you're uh, in St. Louis, Springfield, um, or Kansas City, uh, we're all dealing with the same thing right now. So uh, MoCase uh, has some information. People want to get involved to support special education. Um, I would recommend that they reach out to MoCase to get on our website and look at um, the available resources and connect with um, the Congress people send letters. We have immediate links, which I'm sure you're going to share that information yes. where letters are already formatted for you. Um, but they, they want to hear from us and um, it's so important that they do hear from us so that they know that this is impacting our world and eventually right. their worlds. Um right. Yes, and I will absolutely put those links in there. And I'm glad you mentioned that because some people say, I want to get involved, but they don't know maybe how to contact or what to say. And you're right. We do have templates where they can just kind of pull those out. They're beautiful, interactive websites that help you figure out who your representatives are, who your senators are, and fills that information in for you. So really all you have to do is kind of personalize the template, put your information in and send it. So yes, I will make sure those are in there. Um, and I think that this advocacy piece is so important at every level, like you just mentioned. So yes, everyone should come with us to CELS 2023 next year in D.C. Uh, but in the meantime, connect with your local chapter. Uh, most of our listeners are in Missouri, but not everyone. So check what the CASE website has for your local state chapter and connect with them. As you mentioned, it was 45, 48 states. I believe it was 45 states. 40 Five states under 50 this year, which is impressive. And is Missouri had a um, very large representation at yes, the um, legislative summit, which is impressive. Go yes. Missouri. Go us. We did a great job of advocating for our students and our teachers. Absolutely. So we will connect in the show notes some information there. And then as the summer ends and the school year starts, the legislative season session also starts. And there will be new information out to kind of talk about what's happening in this moment, what bills are being presented. Um, and that's going to be really important 
important to stay connected to. So it can feel overwhelming to a brand new person. Um, me having been a brand new person just a couple of years ago, I felt overwhelmed. But really just taking it a little nugget at a time. There are newsletters you can sign up for to get those kind of legislative updates periodically in your email and just checking in and staying connected. So national level, state level, and then with your local district and your school board, kind of understanding how those decisions are made at that level as well. You're right, Lisa. I agree. I think that um, until I, I took the opportunity to dive in and actually um, look at not only the Mo case resources, but the case um, and cases council uh, of administrators on special education. Um, it's really, once you get on the website, it is all laid out for you. It really is. I'm, yeah. I'm so glad that I did that because it, it, it changed my mindset that, no, it doesn't have to be scary right. um, to advocate for our profession. Right. And who better to advocate for our profession than the very people in the profession who have a passion for this work? So I think that's wonderful. And then another thing that came up from our visit that I just kind of want to share is one of the most powerful things that we asked of our members of Congress that doesn't cost any money, but just to share positive stories they have about education. So we all know that kind of his humans are more focused on the negative, like our minds lend to the negative. We tend to focus there. So that's what's going to catch your attention. But we really can have our spirits lifted and our collective community can be empowered with a positive story. So share those. Well, I agree. So it it promotes the profession in every way. I think it's easy, you know, when the going gets gets a little bit tough, then we, we tend to uh, focus on the negative, but we have so many positive things going on for kids with disabilities, and um, we we need to get the the message out there because Absolutely. that is another way that we will recruit special education teachers yes. for our future. If we talk about all the great things that are happening, especially here in Missouri. Right. We have some fantastic um, leadership at the state level, uh, and it's it's exciting. It really is. And being someone in teacher preparation, I get to see that next generation coming in, and I'm really excited about this fall because every fall I get to have that very first class with our future educators, and the excitement they bring, the passion they bring, the empathy they bring, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to get energized with them and I'm going to share this podcast with them so that they can learn a little bit more about what we do kind of outside of the classroom. So that is wonderful. Thank you for your time today, Marlena. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much. I'd love to talk about special education. So anytime. I've said it before. Schools are the heartbeat of our communities, and we should all be invested in the betterment of our schools and communities as we are teaching the next generation. Thanks again to Marlena for discussing the three big rocks of advocacy we took to CELS 2022, full funding of IDEA, addressing educator shortage, and the need for mental health services. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to get involved in big and small ways. Three great examples of how to get involved are to one, write your senators and representatives using the links in the show notes. Two, promote the profession, share positive stories about education in your networks. And three, connect with your local school, volunteer an hour a week, become a substitute teacher, serve as a paraprofessional. There are lots of ways to get involved. I look forward to our next opportunity to think aloud together. Until then, stay curious and get involved.